Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we answer the question, should Christians own a gun? And is the conversation really about guns, or are there underlying principles that inform how gospel-centered people approach this concept? Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. My name is Dan. And in this episode, we're talking guns. Boom, boom. Pow, pow. Pow, pow. (laughs) And we're talking, we're answering the questions, you know, should Christians own guns? And we're going to answer that and we're going to solve all the gun-related controversies in this episode. And then we're also going to solve your issue of where do you find all what's the best streaming service and where do you find your entertainment needs and Ooh. watch all the movies about guns and shooting? yeah yeah maybe we should spend more time answering the question should we cut the cable cord yon mm. i can't do that without being completely biased though yeah because i'm a cord cutter yeah speaking we'll of that yeah speaking of bias uh we are talking about guns and if anyone knows me i have a brief history with firearms and that i was a 13 year marine corps infantrymen and infantry officers so all those weapons of war that you've ever heard of i've not only participated in shooting them but overseen the the safe implementation of them in our training and the unsafe implementation of them in a actual conflict right so it probably could be safely stated that you're not anti-gun you're anti-reckless gun ownership yeah, I think that's probably the good place to think of when we think of when we're going to have a conversation of guns. It's most people have, there's a wide spectrum of people's engagement with guns, right? Some people have spent lots of time around them. They're very comfortable. Um, other people have never touched them, have no desire to touch them, and they're very scary. Um, and that probably informs the way we look at this whole conversation. But how do we, the, answer, the question we're trying to answer is how do we look at this through the lens of um, gospel truth and living out that truth in our daily lives and in the broader culture. Right. I'm thinking of it in this, in these terms, Yon. What does, we know what the Constitution has to say about gun ownership, but what does the Bible, right? What does the Christian worldview say about gun ownership? And then the question we, we, uh, we focus in on is, should a Christian own a gun, how, or, or even more broadly, how should a Christian feel about gun ownership? Right, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, we, I mean, just like any topic, this has been hyperbolized, if that's a word, yeah. but there's just, you know, Sensational. sensationalized and depictions of the, t- the different approaches, right? I mean, one, if you watch any news... Uh, on one side of the political aisle, it's kind of, again, been monopolized by the political conversation of these people are trying to take away your guns and take away your rights and put you in prison and you need your guns to fight back against that. Um, the other side would say you all these crazy people want guns, they want tanks, and they want pocket nukes so that they can go um, because that's their God-given right, and there's a gun fetish problem in our country. Yeah, they're gun worshipers, right? right. That's like uh, they idolize their their uh, weaponry. Right. And we should, like another disclaimer is we know that we do have a, no big deal, but we do have a bit of an international audience, you know, and uh, this is a bit of a uniquely American <laughs> yeah, conversation. That's true. Um, not from the gospel-centered side, but in terms of the the governmental, you know, constitutional angle that this kind of presents specific to America, which is may not kind of 
people outside of the United States have a hard time kind of understanding maybe yeah. the, the American perspectives because of the Second Amendment. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and is it fair to, to frame that, you know I mean? Or doesn't it make sense to frame that? Because if you are listening in from outside the American culture, or even if you're in the American culture and you've been trying to sort out what, what in the world are people so psycho about? Um, the reason why I think it's difficult to grasp is because there is not, there, most of the portrayals of the arguments, when you refer to sensationalism uh, or the hyperbole, the portrayals of the arguments sometimes, or most of the time, in my opinion, are pretty extreme, right? Like some, some from one side, there's almost the an, this anarchy uh, sure, yeah. uh, uh, portrayal, meaning that, uh, you know, there's the portrayal of the gun people that they because of the second amendment they have been entitled and 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 now they advocate that all innocent civilians that have have this inherent god-given right to arm themselves even with military grade weapons we hear a lot about assault weapons and the magazines and weapons of war and so on and then and then it's like the the, the implication that you know they feel like all innocent civilians should be have this god-given right to own explosives and, and if they could get their hands on tanks and artillery and drones and pocket nukes that they would that right. they would right so there's a portrayal that these people are literally anarchists they sure. want to militarize and and uh, they they're pretending to be in their own militia and then the other of course the other extreme portrayal it would be kind of on on the other side of anarchy would be tyranny uh, that is that uh, to prevent or purge the gun culture that that the only purpose of anti-gun advocates is to uh, disarm all the citizens mm-hmm. and accept law enforcement government officials and and barely allow the military right. to be weaponized right and the idea there is that these people are advocating tyranny so sure. you have this portrayal of one side of the argument that is oh these are all anarchists who want to shoot up the world, right? And, and then you have the other side, which portrays it as um, uh, basically let's strip our citizenry of any opportunity to protect themselves. They have to completely, compl- uh, fully depend on government officials, which brings us to tyranny. Right, which is the slow ride, slide right down into authoritarianism and can't right. prevent any of that stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah, so that's, again, that's the... If you've paid any attention to it, that's the conversation. It's probably the national, international conversation. It's, and again, I mean, this happens with every subject, but with this one specifically, um, there's a lot of emotion connected to it because, and I think we're we're taking the charitable approach because most people who are having this conversation are genuinely, genuinely concerned about um, preserving human life and right. what people will perceive as... Um, you know, protecting innocence and uh, pursuing and advocating justice, and that, and I think that's the 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 argument, the position on both sides of the conversation, or the I wouldn't say both sides, but the every different angle of people that are taking in this whole conversation. And so the the we'll trust everyone's, we'll give a positive intent towards everyone who's kind of engaging the conversation. And we'll kind of take away the positive intent from the sensationalized media because yeah. their intention is eyeballs and clicks and stuff and potentially division. But how can we unify around what is a gospel approach? And uh, even if we disagree, how can we kind of disagree and actually understand each other's differences of right. opinion? So, yeah, so maybe the middle of the road is to explore the the um, the, the, the question 
does the anti-gun crowd want to disarm all American citizens? Or do they want to take guns out of the hands of dangerous people who are shooting up schools, right? right? Mm -hmm. And the other side is uh, that we're trying to find is does everybody who, all the pro-gun advocates who use the Second Amendment, right, are they, um, are they worshiping guns? Are they some sort of um, fantasical military people? Or do they understand the constitutional protection against the possibility of real uh, antagonism by an authoritarian government? Sure. Right. Yeah. So, so that's kind of a more narrow, more realistic. Uh, which I just, I just don't think we hear much right. reasonable down the middle um, right. questions. So we'll yeah. we'll kind of look into that, knowing that guns are a topic of discussion, and uh, especially whether or not people should own them and what kinds are they allowed to own. But we're not going to look at this from a political standpoint. It's going to end up being more of a in the biblical worldview, how should we see this, right? right. How should yep. we think about this? Yep. And I think the more we get into it, the, the more we realize that this is less a conversation about guns in general. So, um, you know, inanimate objects um, and more to do with the kind of the underlying concepts and rights and principles that are driving the conversation. And as you said, we rarely get to those, we rarely get to the, the those conversations. And here's a couple of them that we think are kind of the important driving ones. The first one being like self-determination, right? How do I, and that being the idea of I as an individual have in America, in, in the, the American governmental constitutional framework, have the God-given right to self-determination, right? Yeah. And that, that kind of speaks to the the Second Amendment um protection against tyranny conversation right yeah How, you know, what, does what is look like? real quick off the top of your head um when we say tyranny it sounds like it's such a conspiracy i mean that word just reeks of dude are you into conspiracies when you sure. think of the american government government being tyrannical yeah. so so where is that distrust for the government coming from yeah i mean i think it probably you can harken back to obviously the the founders and there's a king who has absolute mm. authority and their big beef was you know taxation without representation okay. so there is no voice they have no representative um and then the king kind of had absolute authority so there and, was and so there was yeah technically so, the king's stealing from them right and so there's there's no law that the king can't supersede right, right. and then so they implied and said that these laws don't come from a person or a legislative body these these laws and these rights come from God, the, the gotcha, creator. Gotcha, so, gotcha. so because I, the individual, have been given these rights by God, I am left alone. I, a government cannot intercede in my self-determination. Gotcha. So that's one principle. And that protects, uh, so the idea then is that there's God-given rights and the Constitution protects against the individual freedom, my private property. Correct, yeah, so yep. yep. and which is why if you look at the Constitution, specifically the amendments are kind of negative. Like they're, oh. they're not saying the government will do this or will do that. The gov it's, it's, they're written in terms of the government shall not. You know, oh, it's kind of gotcha. like That's it's limiting the government's power. It's not saying what the government can't do. Should I have known so, that? Um, I went maybe. to public school. Yeah, I mean, no, maybe. I mean, who knows what people are supposed to know these days, right? Um, so self-determination is one. Uh, the second kind of concept and principle is self-protection. So uh -huh. again, one step removed from self-determination is self-protection, but that's more maybe interpersonal, less less me looking up at the government and larger entities and more self-protection of if someone um, 
you know, approaches and is has the determination to violate my rights or, right. you know, to do me physical harm? Do I have the right to self-protection? And Ooh. what does that even look like? Sure. Um, in, and that there's a, that's a civil conversation, but also a, a biblical Christian conversation. What does that self-protection look like in the gospel mm-hmm. sense? And then there's like even the broader concept of justice, right? That's a big topic over the last couple of years where lots of social and racial justice conversations or what does that look like? And so this is also a, a, a question of justice in terms of how does that self-protection um, pertain to protecting other people who cannot protect themselves, the weak and innocent protected against the powerful and the violent. Ooh, self-determination. I, I, should, I should be able to advocate for myself and my God-given rights. Yep. Self-protection, um, protect myself against people who have self-determined to do me harm. Sure. And then justice, what about people who are basically unable to determine for themselves and also unable to protect themselves? Yeah. Justice. Yeah. So I just like those like small it. ones, yeah, yeah, no big deal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's just those oddball yeah. one-off uh, issues. And so like. we can kind of see that this is where, and then the the question then gets to what's like guns, right? Well, first of all, we have to answer the question, like, what do these principles look like for a Christian? Do they include weapons in self-determination, self-protection, and, and doing justice, protecting other people? And then if so, what kinds of weapons? And that's where you get down to maybe the gun conversation around stuff like moral equivalency between guns and knives and vehicles and swords and what were the founders, you yeah. know, what's a military-grade weapon and what's not. And that's kind of like we, we're, where most of the conversation is now, right. um, but without dealing with those underlying principles. Yeah, so... so what we have is we have a media and uh, I guess I could say even advocates or activists who are covering this topic skipping completely skipping these three things self-determination self-protection and justice and they simply go to uh, the sensational portrayal that you either love guns and are okay with kids being killed or you love stripping guns from the citizenry so that they're completely defensive, I, or AKA gun-free zones. They're right. completely defensive. So uh, that's why it's all sound bites, and, and we tackle topics like this on this podcast so that we at least acknowledge these are not soundbite clickbait issues. There are reasons why there's gridlock in issues like immigration or there's issues like gun control because at the fun at the foundation of these issues are some really big important questions right. that and you're that you're outlining yeah. here. Yeah, and I think again we're taking the charitable charitable approach in that we think most people have good intentions, right? They want to preserve people's freedoms. They don't want to take them away. They want to um, they want to have people protect themselves. They want to protect the innocent and they want to do justice, right? So so that's where we're landing on and whether you agree with that or not is, you know, probably a product of some of the national conversation anyways so you mean whether you agree with using a charitable approach yes yes, that's correct yeah yeah. and so so the question is i think you know because this is very emotional and very um uh it's also a very complicated issue because how, how do you know like what are the statistics and stuff like what like what yeah, can Are you things, trust them? Yeah, things feel bad, right? I mean, when right, you're in a sense, right. you're like, oh, wow, we, this, we're living in a dystopian nightmare, yeah. right? Um, you know what so, I wonder, Yon? Yeah. I wonder, every time I hear these reports of these mass shootings, which is defined very specifically as, mm-hmm. what, three or more? Yeah, it's like four, three or four, four people or more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's what I always wonder. Are they happening more frequently in my lifetime, or 
are we so well connected now with media, social right. media, and 24-7 news coverage and political agendas in the news coverage? Right. Are we just here about it? Yeah. Here, here, yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating question yeah, to me, right? Question. Has this always happened and now we know about it? Yeah. Or is this new? Yeah. It's the same sense that I get when I'm... You know, people say, well, we used to let our, like, I'm 40. So it's mm-hmm. like, we, I used to ride down our street with mm-hmm. my friends and, you know, no cares in the world. Yeah. And now you can't do that or else you'll get abducted. It's right. like, is that is that true? Like, I don't yeah. know. Um, so let's look. So let's like, we pulled up some stats. So let's actually look at, at some gun related stats just to see how we compare uh, specifically in the United States. Uh, you know, is it really that bad? Uh, are things getting worse or, or what does that look like? So, so what's the situation we're in? Um, well, uh, so let's see. Let's just take a big, broad picture look. Okay, the CDC said in 2020, 2020 that um, 45,000, a little bit north of 45,000 people die every year, died that year from gun violence. Okay, so okay. not necessarily Sorry, guns, person should, on person. I should say guns, guns from guns. Right. Yep. So this inanimate object was killed, uh, 45,000 wow, 45, people. 45,000 doesn't sound like a lot to me. Yeah, I mean, in the, I mean, it's a people, a right. person's a person, and forty-five thousand yeah. is terrible. But yeah. considering, you know, what is there, 330, 350 million people yeah, in the country? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, of that forty-five thousand, fifty-four percent were self-inflicted. Uh, so, okay. just a little over half. A little over half are self-inflicted. So again, wow, suicide. Wow, right? wow. Forty-three um, percent of those were murders. Okay, so they're actually so a gun homicide. Okay, so less than half are murders. Correct. Now within the the overall murder, now put your thinking hats on, right? Just keep yeah, stay tough. with us. Yeah. It's tough. Of all of the murders that were committed, eighty percent of the murders were committed with firearms. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a the eight out of ten murders are committed with firearms, um, and that's the highest since nineteen sixty nine. So like over fifty years, we've we've kind of wow. peaked out since then. Yeah. Um, but that does also indicate that there were mm-hmm. <laughs> significantly high numbers of of gun or gun murders in 1969. So, the 3% of these other gun deaths uh, are kind of others or accidents or law enforcement engagements or something like that. So, but kind of the important thing is there is a 75% increase in gun deaths over the last decade. Ooh. So. That's not an insignificant percentage, right? Yeah, seventy-five percent increase. Yes, over the last decade in gun deaths. And that's number of gun deaths. Yep, numbers. Wow. Yep. Oh, wow. So now, again, if you're a statistics person, you don't just rely on numbers, right? You go by kind of they they rate this stuff by per capita. So what's the rate? Mm. What's the rate of which they happen per one hundred thousand people? Sure. Right. So you gotta you gotta adjust for population, um, and so. The murder rates in this country were the highest in 1974. So there was 7.2 gun murders per 1,000 people in 1974. Okay. So it was higher 50 years ago. Interesting. Currently, it's at 6.2. So 7.2 to 6.2, right? So So the per capita gun murder rate's going down. It's actually, it has gone down over the last 50 years. However... It was kind of at its lowest in 2014 at oh. 3.7. Oh, so it's doubled almost. So it's kind of doubled in the Ooh. last eight years. Ish. So, yeah, ish. Or sorry, a little bit less than doubled, yeah. yeah. But um, And overall, we are 20th on the world chart of gun homicide rates. Okay. Wow. So, so that's, I mean, uh, there's a lot of countries. There's like 100 and whatever, 70, 80 countries. And we being... <laughs> 
America, the most advanced, developed country, we are still 20th on the, you now, know, the gun watch, murder rate. I watch a little bit of news, or at least read some headlines, right? And here's, here's my impression, Yon. And again, this is why we do a podcast like this. My impression is that in the world, the only country that is willy-nilly running around with a pocket full of high-powered weapons and shooting up one another is the United States. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. That's yeah. the impression I mm-hmm. get, that our country stands alone as the Wild West of, you know, you better wear body armor yep. because everywhere you go, you're getting shot up. Right. But what we're seeing here is is not good news, right? No, but, no. But it isn't but 20th in the world. Right. Um, you know, wouldn't it be great to not be 20th? Sure, yeah. But it certainly isn't the way. In my in my experience, in my perception, it's not what's what's kind of projected, right. which is we're no one in the planet is shooting up more people like we are, right. murderously, yeah. you know, and homicidal. I mean, ironically, some of the countries that are ahead of us are like China. They're like, oh, you know, it's like... Really? Yeah, but, I mean, again, how you, you can't necessarily trust Chinese right, reporting right. and, you know, anyways. I mean, if I were China, I would make sure I was last on the list. I mean, while you're controlling or, the... Or sorry, the imp- best. Yeah, I mean, that they're the they're the last, so they're, oh, the, so they're the most successful. That's yeah. why I flinched. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, no, they sh- they're actually they should be first. It's just yeah. Um, so anyway, so so that's kind of like the that the current state. Now the question. Now this kind of gets to the the next level of question is okay. It's not necessarily as bad as as it. It's not. We're not living in a dystopian nightmare, right? Fifty years ago, it was it was worse per capita. Um, it's not good. It's gone up significantly in the last ten years. Yep. Um, but then the the next question is okay. Well, what what can we do, right? The question is, we got to do something, right, to kind of curb this. And how does legislation play into this? And so um, there's some other statistics we'll, we'll point you to. So the Department of Justice in 2016, this is the most recent data they have. In 2016, they um, there was 287,400 individuals who were imprisoned for committing a crime while in the possession of a firearm. Okay, over a quarter of a million. Yep. In possession of a firearm, they said ninety uh, percent of those people obtained their firearm illegally. So mm-hmm. nine out of ten. So no matter what the law is, no matter how yes. many there are, right? No matter how difficult, tough those laws are, they had weapons, illegal weapons. In fact, more of their weapons would be illegal if there were more laws. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So forty-three percent of them got it from the black market. So they just you know. Mm. Uh, 25% got it from a family member or a friend as a gift, uh, which is, you know, which we've seen in kind of our, some recent shootings yes. as they got it from their, their mom or dad, which is also illegal potentially. Oh, interesting. Um, depends on how they got it. But 7% found at the scene of a crime. So they just found it. Oh and my used gosh. It, I Are guess. you serious? So, yeah. 6% were stolen. And then 10% were purchased at a gun show and they had a background check done, but they didn't use their own name. Mm. When they were doing that background check, which oh, is also illegal. Okay, gotcha. So, so they fraudulently yes, uh, so. obtained it. Gotcha. Uh, and then 1% of those people obtained their firearm through a traditional retail, legal retail purchase. Which we have seen in school shootings with these young, right. mentally unstable fo- uh, boys yep. right. recently. So 1%. Uh, are like them. Right. So like the, I think the Chicago shooter bought his gun, but he had to have his dad's permission right. and had to sign off on it, but he was legal. He legally purchased it. Right. 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 So again, you can kind of see we're kind of painting that picture of, well, what can we do about it? Well, the vast majority, nine out of 10 uh, people who have committed crimes in the possession of firearms did so with a firearm acquired illegally. Um, and then 
Again, we're, we're all going to ask the question, what about mass shootings, right? What about mass shootings? Have they gone up? It sure feels like it's gone up. Um, but there was a, you know, Pew Research did some stuff, and, and they said that, I mean, this is a, a weird statement, but they said, chance variability in the annual number of mass shooting incidents makes it challenging to discern a clear trend, and trend estimates will be sensitive to outliers and to the time frame chosen for analysis. I think Whoa. really what they're saying is they don't, they don't know. They can't. They can't point to any statistical significance mm. in terms of the increasing of mass shooting because of the variable definition of mass shooting. Gotcha. Um, but what they have said is that the active shooter, active shooter situations, uh, is at the highest it's ever been in the last twenty years. Wow. So that an active shooter is that someone is currently has a firearm. They're shooting at people and continuing to shoot at people, and then they. Um, they respond to and that. there's far more of these that that we do not see right so you know we're going to see the coverage of the ones that are pretty sensational especially if they involve right. children right but a mass shooting happens uh over the weekend at night on these sidewalks with groups of people standing right. around and four people take bullets yeah, yeah. right well, many of it gang related many right of, yeah, so right um so when we think of mass shooting we don't we're not saying oh it's all yeah someone you know, a kid shooting up a school or something. But that's what the general public, sure. I think, w- yeah. what we would perceive, yeah. right? Um, and so, again, so what does this all tell us? Lots of numbers, lots of percentages. Well, f- a couple of things. First, it's that lots of people die from gun murders every year, and that number is going up, the, mm. the raw number, right? Right. But it means that the rate that they are occurring is lower than 50 years ago, but much higher than 10 to 15 years ago. Okay. Right. So we're not in a dystopian future. But it's worse than it was, significantly worse than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Right. And those committing gun crimes are doing so with guns acquired illegally, the vast majority. So that helps me understand when the solution to all of this is so focused on, hyper-focused on more gun legislation. By the way, I don't really have even much of an opinion on gun legislation because I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not really sure. a, a gun advocate or gun owner, but... Um, it, d- it does help me better process more laws aren't going to fix the problem of people owning guns illegally. Right, sure. Right. Okay, got yep. that. And then lastly, there's no conclusive evidence that mass shooting events have increased significantly. Mm. Right. So that's the situation we're in. So that's kind of like the reality. You take the sense, and I mean, lots of people will, there's lots of people can always take statistics and bend them and use them for what right. they want, but we're, we're trying to, kind of paint a clear picture of what the situation is. Um, And so in light of that, the question then becomes like, okay, well, what do we do about this, right? I mean, it's not 40, what what do we say, 45,000 people? Yeah. You know, know, let's say 40 or 22,000, 23,000 are murdered with guns, right, Mm -hmm. every year, which is not, again, that's not a huge number compared to the population, but it's still... 22,000 people are being yeah. murdered, right? And after a after a school shooting, I can understand people losing their minds and saying, we've got to get guns out of the hands of everybody, Sure, right? Yeah. Even though I think you could make the case that it's far more dangerous for our kids uh, to be in our vehicles, Yep. right? So in terms of risk, I should say. Yep. Yeah, and so, and so, yeah, so the, there's two kind of approaches to this. Um, and how do we how do we kind of deal with this? And how how do we make a dent in that to save more lives, to make sure people are free, and to and protect people? And and some people say, right? I mean, if you get rid of the guns, you get rid of gun violence, right? Um, and the, specifically, the idea that you know 
legal weapons of war, what would be defined as a weapon of war, an assault rifle or assault weapon or something like that, um, are used to kill many people and we should do whatever we can, um, even if it means giving up some of your liberties, your individual liberties to protect human life in general, because the principle being fewer guns means fewer gun violence and deaths. Exactly. And or the way that, it, that you can perceive this from the headlines, if there were no guns, there would be no gun violence, right? right? And then they'll say things like, look at Australia, or look at Canada, or look at Japan, or right. whatever. Basically, they've worked to eliminate guns from the citizenry. Therefore, right. you're going to get no right. gun violence. And yep. that's a very appealing approach or argument, I would say, for the for the everyday sure. Joe and Jane, right? Like, yep. yeah, why wouldn't we want no gun violence? Right. It makes total sense. Yep. And again, yep. we went back to the beginning of the conversation. A lot of it is framed by people's experiences with mm-hmm. guns. Yeah. If they've never had an experience with gun, they don't, they're like, well, what's the point? I don't need them, and, and they're scary. Um, other people who have spent lots of time with them would say, you know, they're not that, you know, it's an inanimate object and it's not the gun killing people. It's the, it, anyways. Yep. So, but that's the. Makes sense. The other side of the argument says, actually, it's the converse. You can say more guns equals less gun violence. And the, mm. the, 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 the point, the, the argument being made is that deterrence, right? The idea is deterrence in that most criminals uh, are, if you study the way criminals act, it's they're kind of approaching the people who look the weakest and the people oh. who, where, your, where your risk reward is kind of you know right. maximized. Um, but if there are more people carrying guns, they're less prone to do some sort of criminal activity because the risk of having someone pull a gun on them right. and their you know the power dynamic is shifted. You know that's that's such a prevalent recently in the news with that um, with that handgun owner, that citizen that was in the mall, right? So there's an active shooter in the mall, and this dude forty yards away pulls out his own um, concealed carry um, yeah. mm-hmm. weapon and. And literally takes out this uh, active shooter and does so, the, the cops are like, this guy was heroic, not just in his ability to do this, but in the way he did it, right? Yep. Turns out he's a young uh, gun owner. And so you can see how if that, that someone argued that if everybody was like that as a citizen, these active shooters wouldn't even get the shot off, yep. right? And, on, and then on the other side of it, you've got that gun-free zone where this theoretical idea that if you could just purge the area of guns you're going to purge it of gun injuries right. and gun deaths but yep. that makes me kind of like wins like so the only one in those zones that has a weapon of course are the ones who have them illegally which is right. you know yep and that's the i think the and the two arguments the two sides are making the argument um you know um the one side says yeah if you take away everyone's guns then yes there will be the odd person who has the opportunity who does something terrible but yeah. on the whole it's better and then the people who say more guns equals less violence they also would kind of make the same argument say so, yeah there's a there's some people who are going to abuse that right but on the whole for uh, for the for the broader sense it's more protective and it, and it protects people's liberties and i think that's the really hard part when you think about this statistic stuff is you can't measure things that didn't happen Right, you can't yeah. measure the fact that okay, we didn't have this gun violence. There's a certain number of people who were gonna go shoot the place up, right. but they didn't, and they self-reported saying, "You know what? I was gonna shoot it up, but I didn't have access to a gun, so that's a that's a mass shooting event prevented." Or right. I was gonna rob someone, but then I didn't because I I, I figured I might get shot, so I'm gonna self-report sure. that, and that's one another yeah. mass shooting that we prevented. Right, that's it's just impossible to do. Right. So, so uh, that's the, you know. 
those are kind of like the different the different approaches and and then there's lots of people who call who fall somewhere in between you hear stuff like common sense gun reform and all that kind of stuff so um but that's kind of like the broad strokes um but ultimately the question is well why does this why does all this matter to christians well it matters primarily because if we're christians um, we want to preserve life. Yeah, every, dignity, yeah. value, and worth of every yep. human being. Every single one of those people being murdered by a gun is a human being made in the image of God. Um, we want to love our neighbors, and we yeah. want to do that. Um, we want to do it in a loving, respectful way to have disagreements on policy, to protect their rights. Right. right? We want to live justly. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're pursuing justice and... Um, and then we want to submit to our government, which yeah. is a big deal too, right? I mean, that was a big yep. conversation during COVID and all the shutdowns, yep. submitting to your government. Partner. But, yep, partner with them. and Pray for them. Pray yep. for them. Um, and specific to the American context of, you know, what's the governing authority? And that's kind of working out the Constitution, right? Oh, yeah. And so the question then becomes, okay, well, what do we do with this, right? What's the best way to do all these things in light of our kind of this whole conversation? So that's where you get to tell us yeah. what to do. Yeah, well... Uh, man, I mean, if you just start broadly on and you just look at the, the Bible, let's look at the Old Testament. Then you've got another, um, the New Covenant, right, which is the New Testament. And you've, so you've got two sections of the Bible that are, uh, that are very much uh, telling the same story, but in a very different, in a very different context. Um, the Old Testament, there's loads and loads of violence. Some cases it's gory, it seems gratuitous, but violence in the Old Testament sometimes um, really proactively prescribed by God himself mm. it's very troubling for people who are kind of doubting the Christian faith and so on but the Old Testament violence was proactive and very purposeful yeah so um, it's very difficult in the Old Testament to come up with a rationale to uh, minimize violence right mm. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, here's one one law that would would shake anybody, I think, to the bones. And it's the eye for an eye, right? Uh, return yeah. to somebody the same force that they used on you or the innocent, right? right. So, yeah. um, and then the New Testament, of course, comes along, and you've got this this uh, picture that Jesus is presenting, where he says phrases like "turn the other cheek." If you get hit on one cheek then as a Jesus follower, like if you're going to live in my kingdom, here's what my kingdom does. It turns the other cheek, cheek and invites a, a strike on the other side of your face. Right. right? Yep. And then, and then Jesus sounds I mean, wonderful. It yeah. does. Yeah. You can imagine why it's not so appealing to the Roman citizens at the time. And then you've got another concept that he teaches, which is generally, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase here, but if someone steals your coat, if you are a disciple following me, living in my kingdom, give yeah. him your shirt too. Right. Right. So he, he, there's the opportunity and Jesus missed it. He could have and should have probably said, look, if someone steals your coat, uh, don't only call 911, pull out your concealed carry weapon and, and, yeah. uh, and, and defend yourself. Yep. Let them have it. Yep, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, Jesus could have said, remember the old Testament, an eye for an eye. Right. So, and then. You know, and we just did an episode of this on ourselves about spiritual warfare and what's really the evil in the world and, mm -hmm. and how should we look at it, you know. And so the New Testament also frames this idea that this kingdom that we're fighting, right, with, with people who are uh, perpetrators and they're violent. And, and we ought to consider that in the New Testament, 
we have an enemy who isn't carrying a gun around, right. who isn't the one who's shooting the gun. Mm-hmm. We uh, are in a battle that is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. We should pray that there are things going on that are unseen that are far more important and more dangerous than what is seen that is driving all of it. So in the New Testament, turn the other cheek. You know, if you get robbed, give them more than they're mm-hmm. than they're taken. And, uh, and and don't concern yourself too greatly or intensely with the physical battle because there's a spiritual battle going on. So that's mm-hmm. the general, what does God say about this? It's not easy. It's not easy, and it's not specific. And, uh, and there's yeah. no reference to an emerging American constitutional right. <laughs> yeah. I will say one of my favorite Old Testament stories is Ehud and Eglon, where he goes in and Ooh. murders the dude, and his sword gets stuck, and he's yeah. so fat he can't get it out. But anyways, yeah, that, it's like a straight-up assassination. It is, and it's so sensational. You're thinking, that can't be yeah, in the right, Bible. Yeah, right. It cannot be in the yeah. Bible, right? There's this big stabbing in the belly, and the guy pulls his hand out with his yeah. sword. It doesn't come yeah, out. Yeah, and then he escapes. He's left. All this strange injury. But anyway. Yeah, isn't, that, isn't that a good uh, yeah. advocacy for gun use? Then? Yeah, right. That I mean, would never happen. When your problems are persist, just yeah. don't, don't use assassinate a sword. us. Don't use a sword. Yeah. So, yeah. That's funny. So, so we got a question, and that is, how should Christians think about gun ownership, gun control, gun laws, gun crimes, gun violence? Uh, and there's this phrase that some advocates would say, you know, some serious Christians who've given this a lot of thought, they use this phrase, judicious ambivalence. Ooh, yep. sounds yep. very and, and about guns, gun violence, and the Second Amendment, that Christians should primarily, that we're compelled and we're obligated by a Christian worldview to, th- to use this approach, this philosophy, which is judicious ambivalence. What does that mean? It means that there is a lack of passion for weapons, mm-hmm. right? That's the ambivalence. And yet that ought to be judicious. So there are times in which you're being very, very perceptive and you're being very wise about when your ambivalence uh, should take precedent or priority uh, and then when it shouldn't, Mm -hmm. right? So there's this judicious ambivalence. uh, And again, you can illustrate it by the school shootings. We know that people with, there are people with murderous intentions, especially we've got this mental illness, hate crimes. They can do awful things with guns. Yet, sometimes... The only way to stop those people is with more guns. You know, sure. I mean, ideally, your police have them, and they're actually stopping right. the perpetrator, right. not talking about stopping. Which is or, one of the big outrages of Uvalde, yep. is that the cops right. literally stood there and didn't do that. Right, and ironically, the people who are anti-gun wanted the cops to go in and use their guns. Right, right. Sure. I mean, it's very yep. complicated. Yep. It's very complicated. So that's so that's why you know this phrase uh, judicious ambivalence uh, no which simply means we would prefer that there are no guns killing anybody but when there are guns killing anybody we use our judicious judgment and mm-hmm. we say probably a guns would have stopped somebody with a with a, an assault yep. rifle right yep. so as a matter of conscience Christians considering gun ownership for personal and family protection really do need to think about what the biblical principles are for example turn the other cheek what does that mean Mm. for us with regard to committing violence and self-defense because if you're a bible person and a jesus kingdom person and you are thinking through how the gospel is transforming your worldview you're not just saying look uh, if somebody takes something for me i'm going to uh i'm going to shoot them right or i'm going to i'm justified in my violence against them there is a turn the other cheek principle that if you're serious, you have to think through that. What does that mean for my personal and family protection? And on a larger scale, 
the American Revolution illustrated a, a very realistic scenario for us where citizens, innocent citizens, had to take up arms to defend themselves against a tyrannical government that was uh, stripping the, the rights and dignity uh, and um, really violating the innocent citizens, and they were doing it systematically and powerfully, right? And we would say the same about right. slavery, right? Slavery is something that we would consider as Christians worth taking up arms against the government when the government was systematizing the the the, uh, the basically the bondage of a human being. Right. Yeah. And so that's why that's why you know you got government government tyranny. We have to consider that in our worldview, and we have to consider personal and family protection. Sure. And um, and certainly we have to be careful not to imagine that tyranny could never rear its head in modern America. And yet at the same time, Romans 13 and other passages, they um, advocate for us submission to and partnership with the, with, with the government. So it's a tense position for sure. And, and what role should or what role could Christians play in an armed revolt against the government? I mean, that's a real question, right? Yeah. If, if, it, 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 so the, the Bible compels us to think through because it's, it's, it's very difficult. And it wouldn't be difficult if, if Jesus uh, didn't teach what he taught and was advocating for, hey, protect yourself. We're gonna, you're going to expect the, Rus- the Roman soldiers are going to approach us. They're going to take me into, into um, custody so make sure you got your swords with you. In fact, yeah. Peter s- takes a swing at one of the swords, cuts his ear off, and um, violates, basically um, over uh, uh, interrupts God's plan right, yeah. with his sword, right? And then you remember there's also times where you hear phrases like, um, you know, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And that seems like Jesus saying, don't don't depend on weapons, right? right? Yeah. So, yep. so um but the point, at the same time, um, the point of the Second Amendment was never just that people should be able to own guns. It was that people should be able to own guns for the good of our cities and the good of the republic. And so we've got these these uh, tensions that make it a little bit more difficult to discern uh, what the biblical principle, principles are that can be applied to this problem. So, so what should Christians think about gun control and the right to bear arms? There's two very vivid, I think, uh, working approaches to this problem and you can find this um these positions being advocated very very eloquently and very very biblically by uh, in a debate that you could find on on the gospel coalition um and what are those debates called good faith debates yeah something like that yeah, yeah good faith debates so uh two guys very eloquently presented these these uh, that i'm gonna that i'm gonna walk through here one is by Bob Thune, and one is by Andrew Wilson, very respected uh, scholarly theolo- theological people. People, you know, they're not uh, in some some monastery somewhere uh, theorizing. They're they're very practical people. But basically, here's what they present: it's two very very distinct, um, pretty much oppositional views. One is a pacifist position. I always love that the word pacifist has the word fist in it. I always love it. I always love that. It's ready for punching. Yeah. That's right. And the other position is a protectionist position. Now, the word protectionist, I may have inv- I may have actually made that up. Mm, maybe protectionism. I think is a word. Protectionist. No. It's, well, no. if you're if you believe in protectionism, wouldn't you be a protectionist? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, well, but if you look at what this position is, it's basically the easiest way to understand it is it's protectionist, right? Yeah. It's 
So you have two views. You could take biblically, you could take a pacifist, pacifist position or a protectionist position. And Bob Thune advocates a protectionist position. So when talking about should we own guns, should we advocate for gun ownership, how should we feel about a gun culture, uh, he says the answer is simple because Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Christians have a moral duty to protect every person's right to mm. exist. And also, the uh, um, Christians have a moral duty to protect through self-defense, which includes the right to bear arms. Human beings have the basic right of self-defense or to say to uh, to say it a, another way, a right to preserve their own existence or to mm. preserve the existence of someone who is innocent or someone else, sure, another yeah. human being. So that's the basic um, that's the basic position is that uh, there's a moral duty to protect life. Sure, yeah. Right? And so, mm -hmm. uh, or to defend that life. Right. Another way you might say that is the right to bear arms derives from the right of self-defense. So the bearing arms is the fruit of the root, and the root is the, the right to yeah. protect yeah, yourself. Like, yeah, self-determination, self-protection, like we talked about yep, justice, right? Exactly. Those are all kind of like the, not only biblical principles, but, you know, American kind of judicial or yep. uh, constitutional principles. Yeah, and so really what the United States founders were doing was putting laws on the framework, right? Putting f the fruit on the tree of self-defense. Um, which exists, you know, the right to bear arms derives then from the right of self-defense, which exists by virtue of creation. Organisms that exist in creation have the right to preserve their own existence. So that would be a philosophy, a biblical philosophy that mm -hmm. helps us better get a grasp of than guns or weapons are a means by which we protect ourselves right. and, and only and the only real purpose of them. So, um, so now if you don't agree with that, you would have to, this is what Bob Thune says, to, to actually undermine or unravel those arguments, somebody would have to either show that human beings do not have a basic right to preserve their existence. If someone's going to come take your life with a sure. gun, you say, well, I don't have a right to protect myself with a weapon. Sure. So uh, uh, I or just even have to protect yourself at all at that point. Sure. Right? It's like, what yep. does protection even to right. resist or any sort of offensive violent right. pursuit yep. maybe it's act. god's sovereign will that this this right. happens the way it's happening or that per christians do not have a moral duty to love our neighbors by protecting them or protecting their right to exist um and that that right does not include the right to bear arms um and so the reason why i would the reason why someone might say that is because oh well they might make the case that guns are evil and uh, of course, we talked about that at the beginning with the, the moral equivalence, right? Does that also mean other deadly tools are, uh, does it also mean other deadly tools are um, also evil, right? Knives, cars kill people, medications kill people. Uh, we just talked about a sword killing somebody. So then there's another view. So that's the first, that's the protectionist view. And then Andrew Wilson advocates uh, for a pacifist view, a pacifist view. What does that mean? Well, it Punch means... Punch everybody? It does not, Darn, Yon, no, it I does not. Know. Nope, you are an outlier here and oh. always prone to sensationalizing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I need, we, need, we need listens. We got to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Chris, he says Christians should oppose the use of deadly weapons on principle because we're committed to the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, and the practice of nonviolence. So Christians are salting the earth in his view biblically through the new testament by the 
by following the way of Jesus, who did not use and advocate weapons, by the way of the cross, which was self-sacrifice, and by the practice of nonviolence, which is another means of saying the, the battle that we're in is not flesh and blood. Jesus was not warning his disciples about the, the, the weapons and the persecution of the Roman soldiers and the Romans' um, authorities. So um, I think Christians, he says here, Christians should oppose the use of deadly weapons on principle also. Uh, that that followers of Jesus should oppose the use of assault rifles, mm-hmm. AR-15s, or machine guns in self-defense for the same reason that we should oppose landmines, citizens owning uh, drones that are armed. Uh, we should oppose capital punishment, abortion, you name it. But it's the same principle that Christians should never kill or advocate the killing of people or using weapons or tools mm-hmm. that can or that have the intention of killing, mm-hmm. right? So, Not that can kill somebody, right. but that have the intention that sure. are for the purpose of killing people. So he would be opposed to, I think, Lauren Bobbert, who is one of the congresswomen who's in a church, said Jesus needed more AR-15s. Oh. I brought that up. It's like that's the ultimate oh outlier ridiculousness, oh right? But, but yeah. That is... Yeah, that's just, most that, Christians do not believe that, right? I do not. Even I do regardless not, of what side I of the argument that is true. I yes, think you so. could safely say most Christians don't advocate that Jesus needed more assault rifles, right? Yeah, yeah. but he didn't use any. Or he he didn't. Well, like I said, Peter yeah. used a sword yeah, when he, he was being arrested and yeah. rebuked Peter. Yeah, and he you know, when Jesus went on to say, "Look, Peter, honestly." <laughs> I don't need your help. Yeah. If I did, if I wanted to defend myself, I just asked the father and he'd send me 12 legions of angels. Yes. Right. Exactly. So he's like, he's essentially saying, right. Like in his case, he doesn't need help. He's yeah. totally fine. Right. Well, if so he's made a decision. Be so, um, live on s- such divine purpose like Jesus. I know we're supposed to, right. I mean, we're not Jesus. Yeah. But the principle is he didn't, right. No, it is. never used weapon, never even advocated. For You're it, right. right. And, so. and he said, if I needed to defend myself, I have the father in heaven with legions of angels. That's, that's, that's a really good point. Yon. Um, and in, in fact, the, the opposite is true, um, of what she said, Bobber said, Jesus never used violence against people, whether to defend himself or to defend the innocent. He teaches his followers to live the same way he did, not resisting evil or, uh, um, in fact, turning the other cheek that we see in Matthew 5. So every time a disciple tries or threatens to use violence in the Gospels, even in the defense of the innocent, Jesus rebukes them. And, and Andrew gives uh, Luke 9, Luke 22, and John 19. Also, the apostles regularly present Jesus' suffering, not violence or harming, as an example for believers to follow, right? So he says, if you're going to follow the way of Jesus, it's going to be suffering. It's not violence or retro mm. uh, or or self-defense or harming someone else. And he gives three segments of scripture there, Romans 12, Philippians 2, and 1 Peter 2. Uh, disciples are commended for joyfully accepting the plunder of their property, joyfully accepting that they had been plundered and uh man that's hard to grasp right but what here's what he's saying he's yeah. saying jesus's way was not a second amendment advocating for shooting people in defense of your property that's what right. he's saying sure, yeah. that's the pacifist view uh, our struggle is not with worldly enemies or worldly weapons ephesians 6 he also goes on to say christians conquer not by killing but by dying by the blood of the lamb by the word of our testimony and not loving our lives even unto death, according to mm. Revelation chapter 12. And every church father before Constantine who addressed the subject 
and he makes a reference here to uh, uh, an Italian church father. After a rigorous, rigorous debate, he said, every church father agreed that killing image bearers of God is always morally wrong. Hmm. And now you could say, well, that's a little naive, right? And uh, Andrew Wilson says, I'm not naive. There's a strong common good case for tighter gun controls in America, which even just war advocates could happily support to minimize death and to minimize injury, even of guilty people, not just innocent people. Right. So, and he makes a kind of the argument, the macro, right? We kind of point to the micro, the, the individualized things. And he kind of, I think, makes the argument of that if you take more guns away, there's fewer gun. And he said, he's like, there will be exceptions, but on the macro, you're yeah. going to see a reduction in gun violence and gun deaths. And so on the whole, it's, it's, a, it's a net benefit. Right? right, right. And then, again, the follow-up argument to that is, so you're telling me, Andrew, as a pacifist, pacifist, that if a evil person, a person with evil intent, I should say, mm-hmm. is breaking into your home at night, and you have children in the house, you have a spouse in the house that you're protecting, you're telling me that Jesus's way is to turn the other cheek and not defend yourself, right. and yeah. then say to that. Uh, what do you say to the intruder with a handgun? You say, hey, look, um, I'm praying right now to my Father in Heaven right. that if he wants to defend me and my family and my children from right. whatever you've he'll got planned, he's going to send a legion of angels to yeah. come down. So uh, the practical implication of pacifism right. is incredibly difficult. Right. And I think, it, that, yeah, this is the hard part is like if someone approaches you or get, breaks into your home, you, you don't know their intention, right? You If, if they simply, if you knew for a fact that they're just here to take my stuff. You're like, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well then I'm going to follow Jesus command and let them plunder me. And it'll yeah. be okay. Right. But a lot of times you don't know the intention, right. Which makes it difficult because then if you have kids and a little one, like I've often thought, I'm like, what's the worst thing that could ever happen? Well, like my kid gets kidnapped. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well like, what do you do? You just, you just, you just trust that this person's intentions who are yeah. here illegally doing something right. <laughs> to take my stuff, that they're not going to do something, some physical harm to my family yeah. or myself. And then if they, if they go to do it, I'm just su- supposed to just yeah, exactly. sit back and let, or I'm some sort of, you know, karate kid, wax on, wax off master where I yep. can only do defensive moves, right. but I can't subdue or do any, like you what's the definition of violence? your bare hands. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's where we get the moral equivalency conversation of what does violence kind of look like? How do you respond? Like what is violence? And, and, you know, gun violence is one element, but anyways, that's yeah. a, that's a, it's interesting, right? Because, um, I mean, the case is made in this debate that reading the Bible through conditional, uh, lens, um, Basically, if I think if he says, I think if you had a Christianized nation where people were saying, I really want to know what does Jesus think about AR-15s? It's hard to believe that people would just ignore the Bible if they didn't have the Constitution. Sure. Um, right. So the Constitution becomes this is his, his case. This is the final uh, point that he makes that it appears like it's the Constitution in our background that is shaping our worldview, sure, yep. not the Bible. Correct. And yep. that as a Christian, the Constitution is important mm-hmm. to protect rights and right. God-given rights and so on. But the ultimate final authority for shaping your conviction and shaping your worldview comes from the Bible, and he makes the case that it, it with, with the Constitution in our background, it's quite possible that we're being discipled by that, by mixture of history, 
and opposition to outsiders and all sorts of uh, other experiences in our American history that have shaped our view on this. And it's worth asking, what is my view? Is my view shaped by history, experiences, keeping outsiders in, protecting myself from people that uh, it's very unlikely are going to uh, uh, invade my personal space or the unlikely uh, event of government tyranny where they're taking my property. Let's not talk about the Netherlands and the taking of the farm property and so on, but... Um, so it's worth noting that Andrew Wilson is British. So yes. clearly his ulterior motives are that he would eh. like to reclaim oh. the colonies for his yeah, king's honor, the queen. If you're listening, Andrew, uh, we know that, I mean, you, of course, you know, that's just a joke. Yes. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he actually brings up that, that during the debate time that we would have had even to make this podcast episode, uh, Britain averaged one gun death in a week versus during this podcast uh, he made the case that in america there were 10 uh, shootings 10 people would be shot and killed during the during the time of that hmm. right so yeah. uh, his again his point is that uh, a gun culture adds to the the gun death right. total yeah. right so that's so so what's my question my question is or sorry what's my solution the transformed view is that you have to discern whether you're more protectionist or you're more uh, pacifist. Sure. And that I don't think you can look into the Bible and see very, very clear evidence um, either way because Jesus and God's word and and the Christian worldview protects the innocent. Mm -hmm. And also you can see that through Jesus's way, he did not advocate for filling up your home with weapons or filling up your country with weapons or taking that battle more seriously than the kingdom battle or the spiritual battle. So it's not a clear, if it were clear, I think we would have uh, a lot more unity and movement in these, in these um, kind of these contentious debates, but we don't, it's it's similar to some of the things that you face with the immigrant question. What's best for an immigrant that there's a process or that you just say, Hey, the doors are open, walk in. And I think the probably the primary principle for Christians is we should be better known for how much we love people and advocate for the go- the good news than yeah. we are for advocating our position on gun violence yep. or, or gun rights or whatever we, yeah. we want to call it, right? Yeah, I think that's a wise place to land right. is uh, inspect. If you're, a, if you're a Bible-believing, Christian worldview, Jesus follower, inspect your view on this topic and be honest about where that view is coming from. Right. Is it coming yeah. from the the Bible, Jesus's teaching, uh, the way he lived his life, or is it coming through American history? Right. Which you, I, I think you have to honestly you have to separate the two. I know there's some interlinks for some, but you sure. get you, you start with the careful. biblical principle, exactly. and then you say, well, how does that apply yes. to the American con- construct of submitting to the government and the right. Constitution, and how does that play out? Yep. Right? And and so. if I'm being robbed, am I willing to say, hey, uh, here's here, you took my coat, here's my shirt. Right, yeah. I and mean, what does that yeah. look like for an American citizen who belongs to right. Jesus? Yeah. I mean, that sounds bananas. Yeah. But, but that's a good, I mean, even the starting point is saying, if I knew this person's intentions 100% was just to take my stuff, yeah. do I then give them, like, they take my jacket, then do I give them my phone? I'm like, no, no, take yeah. this too. I mean, right. here's my money. I mean, because you obviously this stuff need doesn't money. mean anything right. to me. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it, it should. Let me put it this way. Here's how I'll finish. If you take your life of faith seriously, you will inspect why you believe what you believe yeah. about either side. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now, we've solved that problem. Yes. Now we'll solve the problem everyone really cares about. Mm-hmm. And that is, 
where do you find the best entertainment? Where can I find all the movies about shooting and blowing things up? Yeah, gratuitously sensationalizing yes. all gun violence. Yes, where can I find where? my entertainment? Where can and I do so cheaply? Yeah, so are you a cord cutter or are you a cable person? Let's I'm a, start there. I'm a cord cutter. I have I cut the cord a long time ago, the cable cord. And uh, I'll answer your 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 biggest question. We've, we've had great success and thoroughly enjoyed YouTube TV. $65 a month. We have all the channels we want. You can record an unlimited DVRs worth of shows, mm-hmm. series, channels, uh, go back and access them uh, at, on demand. And here's the special zinger for our family. You can fast forward through every commercial, which mm, is yeah. not when it's live. But if you record it and just, or in fact, you know what I like to do is if I'm watching something live, I'll pause it for a while, let it play ahead, oh, sure, and then yeah. just, I'll be behind, but I'll be fast-forwarding through, and you yeah. literally just tap your remote, if you got an Apple TV, you just tap your remote, and you just fast-forward through the commercials. It is, it is, it changes everything. I literally cannot, no, I can no longer, since doing this, I can no longer watch live television, yeah. because the commercials are, are, like, absolutely unbearable. So, yeah. we've had great success with that, and then, you know, our family's added some other things. We, because of our subscription to our uh, our iCloud, we've added uh, Apple TV Plus. Yep, yep. So we've got all kinds of choices there. Um, and um, and then I think um, my kids have, have um, my adult kids have subscribed to Disney Plus for um, you know for obvious reasons. And and so we've we've had. So I think my family would advocate for YouTube TV. Mm-hmm. It doesn't carry my Yankees Yes Network. Which is a major problem. Does? Nobody. It's a like, major problem. Think impossible. Direct TV does. That's it, that I know of, according to my research. So yeah. So we're content with that. We've and now Netflix. Um, you know they're in right now. They're in. Their shareholders uh, are up in arms over the the potential. Yeah, they're getting crushed. Yeah, they're they're kind of on a downswing while these others are in an upswing. But um, it's a pretty complicated reason I think. Um, but you know they're starting to crack down and sharing the password outside your home and. Yep. Uh, but so I could take or leave Netflix. I've enjoyed some of the document, uh, what do you call the documentaries mm-hmm. on, on, uh, that particular service. Um, but I think we could manage with, uh, just YouTube TV at 65 a month. Yeah. There you go. What about you? This episode brought what, to you by what? YouTube TV. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Google. Yeah. Google's. Uh, uh what about you, Yon? I mean, you when you I cut think the cord, I mean, we have cut the cord. Yes. Um, but we usually... The thing I spend the most time on, which is strange, is I actually watch a lot of YouTube on my TV. Oh, you so and all not the YouTube. adolescents. Yeah, you and yeah. all the adolescents. I, always, I used to wonder, like, who spends so much time on YouTube? <laughs> uh-huh. But I just watch, like, little clips. Like, instead of watching a whole soccer show, yeah. I just find they just label the clip. Oh, it's four minutes. Oh, yeah. I'll watch that, you know. Um, I, it's just, it's kind of weird. I find myself watching little things on YouTube, like I'm a crypto guy so i'm watching little things on crypto i'm watching yeah. little blurbs on the news and stuff so Ooh, you got sucked in yo yeah i got, you sucked, got in. sucked in yep and so um but i mean like i've almost found that cutting the cord is almost more expensive than because i'm a soccer guy and i'm like there's like i gotta do like four different subscriptions right. to paramount plus and peacock and yep. all these different things to to find all the all the matches i'm like this is costing more money than yeah. a flipping cable it's, it's literally i know this is going to surprise people but i'm going to make a, an analogy to fast food here it's literally the 
comparing getting a combo meal at a fast food restaurant versus just buying all those things individually. Sometimes right. buying yeah. them a la carte is more expensive than yeah. just getting them all bundled yeah. up. But for those who aren't, uh, what am I doing? Am I advocating? Yeah, cutting you are. I think I am. I it depends, but I think um, I, I know what you're saying. If you if you like a specific uh, stream of or a genre, sometimes paying for all the services it, it adds up to just yep. as much. Yep. Um, but there you go. So the solution is uh, we have the new Salted TV streaming service coming out. That's right. And Salted TV Plus. It consists entirely of just audio episodes of our episodes. That's right. So All you exactly. got to do is send us $65 a month. Yep. No big deal. You can't cancel. You're locked in for 12-month <laughs> commitments. <laughs> lifetime. Lifetime contract. Yes, but we will send you a very nice salted pen or patch. Yeah. Uh, None of that's true. Yeah. None of that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But thank you for listening. Thanks for liking us, sharing this episodes, and we will catch you next time. So long. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.